Saturday, January 13, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. We are wrapping up the week of student veterans here on Born to Battle. We started with Jared Lyon, the president of Student Veterans of America, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. We spotlighted seven total Student Veteran of the Year finalists. We talked to them about their service, about their challenges and accomplishments, leading their student veteran chapter on their local campus, and uh, best practices for outreach on campus. Uh, And today, we are going to talk to the gentleman that was named Student Veteran of the Year just a week ago at the Student Veterans of America National Conference. His name is Chris Rolfe. He is a Air Force veteran. He attends Queens University of Charlotte down in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is pursuing a degree in business administration. Him and I are going to talk about much of the same, uh, but for a slightly longer uh, time. This was meant to be a full interview like we're accustomed to, the around the 30-minute mark. Going into it, I knew that Chris had been uh, – I knew that Chris uh, was going to be Student Veteran of the Year. He did not know. Uh, this was uh, – him and I did the interview, I think, about 36 hours prior to the announcement. So so when we had this conversation, he was still unaware that, uh, that he was going to be uh, given that award. Chris Rolfe. Air Force veteran, student at Queens University of Charlotte. Enjoy. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. And when he needed it, he turned to VA for treatment. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. Now, this is my moment to honor my country, my family, and their legacy of integrity. It means everything to me. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. Together, we're building real friendships with veterans and their families, starting with world-class care. Every day, we're helping veterans with wounds both seen and unseen. From our groundbreaking research in PTSD to our advances in physical therapy, I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. I start all of my interviews for Born the Battle with the same question. The one thing that we all have in common is the decision to join the United States military. So bring us back to that decision for you. (laughs) Okay, absolutely. Um, So in high school, I was a um, rebellious person, child, uh, youth. Um, Definitely didn't try very hard in the academic side, spent a lot more time on the party side and with my friends and goofing off and probably doing some of the things I didn't necessarily need to be doing. Um, The time came to apply to universities and, and I got into a couple schools and went through the process of application and decided um, mostly based on a gut feeling more than anything else that I wasn't ready to be a college student. I knew that you know, it was going to be a big party atmosphere and probably negative influences and all those things. And something kind of deep down told me, hey, this is not where you need to be right now. 
you probably need a little time to grow up. So that decision led to um, kind of an investigation of some other options. My dad did 36 years in the Navy. Um, his dad did a ridiculous amount of time, lifetime in the uh, Army. So the military had been in my life, and I was a Navy brat. Um, well, that's an option. Let's go look at it. Uh, and that turned into talking to recruiters for all five branches and liking what the guy from the Air Force said. And um, some people might think it was an impulsive decision, and, and maybe it was a little bit, but um, I liked what he said, and I knew I wasn't ready for college. I saw that as kind of the other option. And then he said, by the way, when you're done, we'll pay for school. And that was kind of all I needed to hear, and off I went. Um, so that, that kind of led me into the military. I think the pursuit of maturity uh, more than anything else, and then also the family history of uh, service in various branches of the armed forces on top of uh, knowing that school was in my future, but probably wasn't right now, yeah. I would say. So the, the name of the program is Born the Battle, but we know not everybody, not every veteran sees literal combat, right? But we all, we all experience some sort of adversity or challenge, something that we have to bear while we're, while we're in. Um, tell me about an experience that you had, some difficulty or challenge, and, and how you dealt with it. In the military or after? In the, in the military. Oh, sure. Um, so I was, a, I was in the Air Force, uh, like I said, was a C-130J model loadmaster. Um, out of Ramstein, Germany for my four-year active duty stint. Um, so I did cargo transit um, and airlift across Europe, almost all of Africa, um, some of the Middle East over the course of uh, four years in, in Europe. Um, I think I was spoiled because I loved every second of it. Um, I was given a ton of responsibility at a, at a young age. And, I've always considered myself extremely lucky to have gotten the role in the military that I had because I think it was exactly what I needed um, for that personal growth. Um, in terms of a challenge, I would say there's, there's tons of situations I can think of where um, things went wrong on the aircraft or we had crises or emergencies um, that we had to handle. The thing that was really interesting about being a loadmaster and was a blessing and a curse at the same time was that you had, as an 18-year-old, a ton of independence. I mean, I was, the back half of the airplane was mine and mine alone um, from the second that I stepped on the, air, the flight line. Yeah. Uh, there were two pilots up ahead of me who were talking to radios and doing whatever, but for the most part, um, I had a lot of anonymity, especially when we would do three and four day missions away from our unit and, and I was on my own. Um, so there's lots of circumstances where that was really fun and I learned a ton about myself, but there are plenty of others that I can think of where uh, I was probably out of my depth, um, both from a maturity standpoint, just at that age, you know, it's a lot of, of responsibility. Um, I can think of a lot of times we would do a lot of missions, sort of combat support and anti-terrorism in Africa, uh, where we were supporting people who were kind of the tip of the spear who were, who were shooting the bullets. Um, and we would end up in some somewhat hairy situations because we have to get the plane, this massive C-130, in and out of these very austere locations and get these guys what they need. Um, and so I would say that some of the most harrowing experiences that I had were in that environment where there's such high pressure to deliver what needs to be delivered and, and to get it there on time and, and effectively to support these guys who are relying on it. 
Um, but at the same time, to be 18 and not quite have a firm grasp and understanding on what exactly the weight of that responsibility was at the time. So looking back, I'm kind of like, wow, that was something else. But at the time, I don't think it quite clicked, if that yeah. makes sense. No, Does that, that answer your question? <laughs> actually, it does. And that actually, um, you, you touched on something that I don't think we talk about enough when it comes to what makes the military experience so different from, um, uh, from those not in the military, right? And one of the things why, uh, you know, I've, I've, been, I've talked a long time about how, you know, veterans are just like pumped with purpose the second they get into the military, right? And, um, you know, our civilian counterparts are progressively getting purpose through their journey of college and stuff like that. We go in the military and it's a shot in the arm of purpose. Right. It's like, get out there. Um, but what you just touched on and like, really wrapping your head around the fact that you're 18 right. with these responsibilities that honestly I look at now and I'm like, I'm not sure if I could even handle that sort of pressure now, right. you know? Um, and so it's, you know, uh, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for um, with that little life experience taking on such a huge role um, in the United States military, no less. Yeah, certainly at the time, I did not grasp the the weight of what was happening around me, and and that might have been a little bit of, uh, you know, my own situational awareness or emotional intelligence and immaturity at the time. But um, I spent a lot of time kind of reflecting on what was actually asked of me on a bigger picture, um, and thinking back, I was like, wow, that <laughs> that was a kind of a hefty order and a, a large request because, um, you know, I could hardly tie my shoes kind of and at the same time they're like hey take this 70 million air, million dollar airplane and take it here and do this with it and oh by the way go by yourself or go yeah. with two other people and um, I would say that at the same time as that was intimidating and alarming it was also so exhilarating and um, I guess needed I would say I think I, I needed that level of excitement and risk. I mean, when you're 18, you kind of want stuff like that. And I, I think being thrown into the deep end of the pool forces you to be uncomfortable and to grow and to mature and yeah. to be ready for that situation, even if you're not ready for it. Absolutely. So I kind of have picked up a lot of, I guess, life lessons out of being in those environments where you're really not ready and you make it work anyway. I think I've modeled a lot of things after that from seeing how much I had to grow in that situation, yeah. that makes sense. So what, what prompted your transition out? I decided to get out of the military for the same reason I decided to get in, which was um, I knew that I wanted to go to school and uh, pursue a degree. I just wasn't really sure how in high school, and so I was like, let me give myself some time to figure that out. Go join the military, and I mean, have an absolute adventure. Spend time in, across Europe, drink German beer, and. Um, French bread and you know all these things, this incredible experiences. And then by the time I hit my four-year mark and, and the end of my enlistment was up, I think I was in a better place um, from a maturity standpoint. And I knew that my goal all along had been school. So I decided, okay, this is the time to do it. I think I'm more ready now than I've been before. Um, I'm tempted not to say this because it might sound arrogant, but. I, I've always been the type of person I'm, I'm kind of all about discomfort and personal growth, and I, I'm always yeah. pursuing that. Um, that was something I, I really learned in the military. 
I thought that I had hit a point in my career in the Air Force or as a loadmaster where um, the mission and the job started to come easy to me and, and I felt very, very comfortable um, going out to the airplane, doing everything I had to do, regardless of what it was, executing the mission successfully and, and coming home. I, I really was at a, a point of very high confidence. And I think when I get into those situations, I start to get a little uneasy. Um, I feel maybe a little bit stagnant. And so somewhere deep down, I think I made the decision that I was ready for the next challenge. And to me, that was school. I mean, I was very intimidated by higher education. Because I mean, I think I graduated high school with like a 2.8. I mean, really not, I, didn't, I just didn't try, I didn't care. So when I looked at my transcript and my record, I was like, wow, I'm probably not very good at this. Um, so that was a big leap for me to go back to school, but I wanted that next challenge and that next risk. Um, yeah. And so that, that charged my desire to get out and then everything else kind of fell in place after that. Yeah. Um, so then uh, now you are going to your Queens- University of University Charlotte. of Charlotte. Yeah, not in New York. Not in New York. Right. Um, and you are, uh, you're the chapter president um, of the SVA chapter that's down there. That's true. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, let's start with, um, during, your, during your tenure as, as president, uh, what's, what's an accomplishment that you guys have, uh, have made there on campus? I had to pick one. Um, so, so I am the uh, sitting president of, of Student Veterans, Queens University Student Veterans Association. I'm also one of uh, the co-founders of the organization. So we um, founded what we call QU for Troops in the fall of 2015 when myself and my, uh, at the time, roommate arrived on campus. So there was no military veterans program before that. There was no student organization. There, they didn't, there was no infrastructure whatsoever uh, from a veteran capacity at Queens. And so, um, I would say our biggest accomplishment has been the really, really rapid growth that we've experienced as an organization and the way that we've been able to take a, a non-existent program with absolutely no resources or funding and turn it into a very rewarding and robust organization of, of pretty incredible people. We still don't have any funding um, but we are able to really do a lot with very, very little resources. And I think our, um, our claim to fame as an organization and, and something that a lot of other schools have, have looked to us to has been, hey, how, do you, how are you able to make this happen when you have, no, you have no money, we have no donors? I mean, we don't do any of that. We don't take SGA money. Um, so I would say our, our biggest accomplishment or one of the things I'm most proud of is just how much success we've had independent of... of um, resources. We don't, uh, we're very self-reliant um, in that capacity. I think this year we raised $2,000 and we've, that's more than double what we've ever raised in a full year. I mean, we really don't have a lot of money. Um, despite that, our organization is a really incredible thing to be a part of. We have a, an amazing culture um, and a very intimate group of people who care about each other a lot. And I think that um, being able to have built that without needing um, some of those monetary resources or, or other things that, that people think they need is 
what I've been the most proud of and excited to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, on the other side of that, what's the challenge that you guys have faced um, on campus, whether um, whether it's outreach, engagement, whether it's working with the university, um, whatever it may be, what's the challenges you have dealt with? Oh man, there's so many. Uh, there's so many times where we have failed in the last three years. Uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible, really. <laughs> I have to start thinking about it. Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges that we had is our school, is, Queens University, is very, very small. I think there's less than 3,000 total students, including the graduate program. It's a very small private school in Charlotte. Um, it's unlikely that anyone listening to this has heard of Queens, for the most sure. part. Um, because of that, our university had very little resources in, in the capacity to support a veterans program. Um, we certainly didn't have uh, you know, a therapy center or a uh, legal counsel or any of those things that you would typically want as resources for your veteran students to have advocacy and to have all the things that they'll need to be successful. We had none of those things. That, I would say, was our biggest challenge and has turned into in my opinion, the absolute greatest strength of our organization is because we had none of that, we had to turn to Mecklenburg County and the city of Charlotte and the community and the nonprofits and the businesses and say, hey guys, we have nothing and we want to build something that people want to be a part of and where they feel supported. Can you help us? And we have been so engaged in our network and in our, <clears throat> sorry, in our network and in our community ever since inception, and now our relationship is so concrete and personal with so many different facets of Charlotte and the surrounding area. Um, so our biggest challenge was that we, we started with nothing and we, we didn't have the capacity to provide any of these services. And it turned into such an incredible opportunity to lean on the people around us in our city who were ready and willing to provide those resources and we hadn't reached out yet. And so we did that and now I have you know, 40 phone numbers in my phone that I can call at 2 a.m. and I know they'll answer. Those relationships have given us so much more than we ever would have been capable of on our own. And on top of that, in times of crisis for us as an organization, we have leaned so heavily on outside resources like that, and they have saved people's lives. We have relied on them you know, in our darkest hour, and they've always come through, and we try to do the absolute same for them. And that interdependency and codependency um, went from something that could have easily broken our organization to our far and away our greatest strength. Um, and that took time. It took time to build that trust in those relationships, but now they are far and away our most valuable uh, resource. Um, what, have you, what have you learned as uh, to be a best practice when it comes to outreach and engagement with student veterans on campus? Well, there's a couple of things. The first that comes to mind is um, <laughs> we do something, that I don't know if I should call it, we intercept early. Um, is what I refer to it as. So at, at orientation, adult student orientation, we are there in force. I and mean, we, we bring more um, representatives than any other student organization. We almost bring more than the faculty. And we really are there and we can pick out the crowd just like anybody could. That's a military, yep, I see him, that guy, short hair, I got it, he's military. Um, 
Oh, she's standing yeah, that way. Mm -hmm. Yep, got her. Yep. Uh, so very easily you can identify those people, and often they self-identify or they can say the same thing about you. We intercept those people early. We say, hey, have you seen the vet center? Because the traditional student tour does not stop by the vet center. And yep. so if someone's on it and we don't hit them, they won't hear about us. Right. Um, we catch them early and we cast a pretty wide net. And if they're interested and want to be a part of it, we absolutely love it and the door is wide open for them. And if they don't want anything to do with it or they're busy with family and they have three jobs, who knows? We respect that and, and we do everything we can to be there for them anyway. The other thing that we do that's really successful is our Student Veterans Center, which I owe ultimate gratitude to the university because they chose the room that, that we built our Veterans Center in, is almost dead center on campus. So we are in a building um, that really serves as the nucleus of campus, and so we get a lot of foot traffic. Um, we open our door, and there's people passing by constantly. They're peering in, they're looking to see what's going on. So we generate attention just in our presence, um, and by having our doors open, we open the Vet Center to every student on campus, any faculty member. If they want to come in and play PlayStation or hang out with us and learn about the military, it doesn't matter. We open those doors. Um, that has made what I think a very welcoming environment where people feel like they can come in and not feel pressured to ask us strange questions or, or whatever they want to do. And that gets the word out on campus better than anything else. Word of mouth is, is the most crucial thing. Have you heard about the Vet Center? Have you seen the shirts they got? They're sweet. Um, they have a PlayStation in there, go play on it. I mean, really, it, it, uh, those things are, the rumor mill, I almost want to call it, can make or break you. And at Queens, we've really been able to leverage that to our own success. The other thing we do is we serve food. If you're not serving food at your meetings, you guys are wrong. People, yeah. if your food is free, people will be there. And for the most part, you can feed a pretty good amount of people for not very much money. Go to your local barbecue place and ask them for eight pounds of pulled pork and tell everyone there's free food and, and you'll meet people you had never seen before on campus. Yeah. Um, in that vein, we think it's really important to be ex almost extremely inclusive. So we make a point to do regular student outreach. We partner with uh, you know, the fraternities, the sororities. We partner with kind of people you wouldn't necessarily expect a partnership with and we build the relationships on campus that way and those people become our advocates because they see that you know, we have the best interests of the veteran at heart and really the best interests of our campus at heart. And we're not just living in our little room by ourselves and we're closed away. We, we try to be very involved um, with the regular student body for a reason. Yeah. So those things have given us a unique exposure and put our name in the mouths of the traditional student body and people who might not know anything about the military. And through them, we generate attention Facebook followers, all those things. Um, the food thing. The food is big. Food is big. <laughs> food My, is huge. When I was when I was president, we um, our the way to AU American University was funding student groups was changing, and um, we still had a bunch of money left over from the prior process of funding that they we needed to just use. And so I was ordering pizza at every little meeting, like a meeting, an event, uh, you know, whatever, anything that we were doing where we we're asking people to come participate as a group, I ordered pizza. And people were making fun of, or both making fun of me and almost criticizing me, like, you're spending too much money on food. And I'm like, I don't think you understand, like, you understand how important this is in attracting the other half of the people that are coming, we're gonna show up no matter what, but it's the other half of the group that's showing up because there's a couple pieces of pizza to right. get. The other thing that has been um, 
something that I, I've put a lot of stake in is, is the, when I say that we intercept early and we, we catch people at orientation or earlier, um, we have a very uh, strong relationship with our admissions department. And so w when someone even shows remote interest in the university, uh, you know, we try to take the time to send them um, information, to answer their questions, to be very personal with them. Because first of all, I think that Queens University of Charlotte is a fantastic place to be a student veteran. But it's also not the place for certain student veterans. You know, we want to make sure that someone who's coming here is going to be a good fit. We don't have an engineering program, so I'm not going to tell you to come here if you're passionate about engineering. Right. You know, so I want to intercept that person early, identify what their goals and their dreams are, and then figure out if, if we're going to be a good fit for them. And through that, if we are, we have somewhat of a relationship already built. And that takes a lot of time because often it's a good amount of people and you, and you really have to be sincere with those outreach efforts um, to get a hold of those guys. The other thing that's important about that is that we've discovered that the first semester and, and into the early part of the second semester is the most critical time for someone who's experiencing transition difficulty. So if you're having a hard time transitioning to college, which everyone does, um, your most difficult sections are gonna be that first semester into your second semester. It's really when it's gonna to start to kind of uh, seem like a lot or, or become a lot of pressure or it's gonna overwhelm you. Often into your sophomore year and, and people kind of start to iron those things out. So intercepting those people early and having them aware that you are there for them, they might not never ever call you until they remember, hey, now this is starting to get hard my first semester. And that's okay, you know, if they don't want any part of it before that and they don't come to your pizza social, that's fine, but they need to know that you're there early. Because if you get introduced to them and they're already a junior, you miss that window where they were vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and, and it's been true time and time again, the, the better we are at, at catching someone early, um, the more support we can give them uh, if that pressure of the academic environment or the change or anything starts to overwhelm them or, or become difficult, we are much more effective when we know that earlier on. Yeah. So that early intercept orientation, even before then, that's how we've uh, really been the most impactful and, and I think done the most good. Tell me about, tell me, give me a, a skill set or an experience that you, that you gained in the military that contributes to your success today. Oh gosh. I, I was, uh, like I said, I was, I was not the greatest high school student and definitely not someone who was um, very well put together. I would say that in the military, I learned from other people that passion is invaluable. So I have grown and become someone who, really in the military, I grew and became someone who uh, I care about everything, often way too much. Um, I don't think you'll meet anyone who's ever met me who will say that that guy just doesn't care. Um, I think that pursuing things with passion and with um, excitement, almost to a fault, is how you're going to identify what you want to do, what you're passionate about. I mean, I pursue everything that I do, or I try to with excitement. I wake up in the morning, I'm excited. It's 10 o'clock at night, I'm still excited. My friends hate it sometimes. I mean, I can be pretty over the top. 
Um, and I think I learned from others in the military who were so driven and, and the military was what they were passionate about or aircrafts were what they were passionate about or helping other people is what they were passionate about. Those were the people in the military who I most admired. In my unit, in my squadron, on my base, it's like, wow, that guy cares so much about that. It's very inspiring to see someone who knows exactly what it is that they're so passionate about and then they get after it. And those are usually the people who are the most driven, they're taking leadership opportunities and running with them, even if they don't have the experience. And so I started to learn like, wow, that is something about, that's a uh, consistent trait in the people I most admire is that they're truly, truly passionate people. Um, I guess I don't have a lot of patience or, or um, desire for someone who's lethargic or just kind of shows up and grumbles. And yeah. so what I've tried to implement now in my own life is even if I don't necessarily want to be doing it or it's paperwork or you know it's something I'm not passionate about, like let me get excited about it. Let me try to implement that same thing that I so admired in the, in the people that I so admired and that trait and who knows what will come of it. And from that, it makes a lot of things way easier. Um, it makes schoolwork easier if I don't want to do my financial accounting homework. Um, and I try to really motivate myself to, to get excited, to be passionate about my education and learning it, all of a sudden those things become a lot easier. So I think maybe less from military experience, but more from the people around me, I learned about passion. And now I'm passionate about everything <laughs> to, the, to a fault, um, which I think has, has served me well thus far. Yeah. Hopefully it will continue. Sure. Tell me, tell me about a, um, this is a question normally I normally ask in the first section, but I forgot to mention it. To, tell me about um, either one of your closest friends in the military or a really great leader that you had. You can choose either or, um, and just tell me about them. Oh, gosh, okay. So um, the 37th Airless Squadron in Ramstein, Germany is my unit. Um, so when I got there, uh, I spent time in the dorms with a guy named Spencer Smith, which is the most boring name you'll ever hear. Um, Spencer very quickly became a pretty good friend of mine. We had the same job, same unit. I mean, we, we did everything together. Um, and for the entire time that we were in Germany, we were in the dorms together, and then we ended up uh, becoming roommates and getting a house off base. Um, Spencer is the exact opposite of me in every way. He's a slow-moving guy, he's patient, he does things really at his own pace. He's very introspective. He's a contemplative, quieter guy. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't have more different personalities. And I think because of that, we became really good friends because we just kind of feed off of each other and, and bring out each other's strengths. So Spencer and I, best friends in the Air Force and the military, learned an immense amount from him. When I decided to come back to school to Queens University, he was separating at almost the same time came back, toured the school, loved it instantly, decided that was where I wanted to be, flew back to Germany, got home, landed, drove home to uh, the house that we had, knocked on his door and said, hey man, I found the school I wanna go to. I gotta tell you, it's pretty incredible. I loved it there, I'm applying, and I'm gonna go there no matter what. It's in Charlotte, by the way. Spencer's from Oregon, he's never been to Charlotte in his life. Sure enough, through seeing how excited I was about it, like I said, passion, he applies to Queens, gets in, starts the same semester I do, and he's been the vice president of the Student Vets Association ever since. That's really cool. Yeah, Spencer and I have been very close friends for a really long time, and our friendship has grown in a lot of ways because we're such different people. Yeah. Um, I would say I've learned more about 
empathy and, and listening and other people and really understanding the other side of someone who's very different than you. I've learned more about that from Spencer than anyone. So he far and away has been the, the person who, um, or one of the people who's had the biggest influence on my life, especially uh, from the military perspective. Yeah. Uh, my last question for you. Um, give me a, tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization aside from SVA um, that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, okay, so, oh gosh, I'm going to go on a rant. Um, so, like I said, our relationships in the Charlotte community are absolutely vital. Our organization would be are probably non-existent without these, without these relationships. The primary key piece or component to that is a group called Veterans Bridge Home. Their executive director is a guy named Blake Bourne, um, army guy, gigantic fella. He and that organization serve Charlotte, the Mecklenburg County, and the surrounding areas, and even into South Carolina and Virginia, um, with such a passion for helping other people. They serve sort of as a um, network of connections for all the services that a veteran might need. I mean, I call them for everything, and, and they always know who to go to and, and what number to dial and how to get it done quickly. And they've done it in a way that is so personal to the veteran and the veteran community, and, and they care about every single person that they serve. I mean, I think they served, the first year they were in business, they probably served 20 families, and, and I think this year they did 15 or 1,600. I mean, their growth has been so impressive because what they're doing works and they know how to connect someone to exactly what they need and they get it done fast. If I'm in a, in a period of crisis, I need this done now. I can't have it done in two weeks. And so I know when I call them that it'll get done and it could be yoga. I mean, it doesn't, it could be yoga. It could be a networking coffee. It could be a crisis and they're ready for all of it. Um, I've personally learned an immense amount about leadership and personal composure from Blake himself and from the people in that organization and, and their people, I'm coming back to passion, people who care so much about what it is that they're doing, but not only do they care and their hearts are in the right place, but their system and their methods are really, really effective. Yeah. Um, Veterans Bridge Home, they used to be called Charlotte Bridge Home and then they've grown so much that they changed it to Veterans Bridge Home. They are absolutely fantastic. If you're out there and you're listening, I recommend you look them up because uh, it is truly a really great organization, and I believe that their model and what they've designed could work anywhere. It could work. It could be Seattle Bridge Home. It doesn't matter. Um, that connectivity and the ability to lean on the military community when you need that support is outstanding. Okay. So that's the organization. That's my plug. I yeah. love those guys. They are great. Good. Yeah. That's that's the whole reason I asked that question is so. Everybody listening can just learn about new organizations, whether they're national organizations or local ones. The more aware we are of who's doing good things in our space, the more we can support them and, and yeah. be more effective. So. Yeah, they are a fantastic group. And for us as an organization and our involvement in our community as a school, um, they have played a huge role. Yeah. And like I said, it, it's been a really wild, interesting ride for us as an organization, and they've been there every step of the way. Chris, 
Thank you so much for your time, it, sir. Man. Absolutely, yeah. I enjoyed it. You nailed it. that, by yeah? the way. Yeah. <laughs> I try to do my best. Let's try and give you the honest answers yeah, and that's good. be authentic. Yeah, well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service to our country. Yes, sir. And thank you for your continued Likewise. service uh, over there at Queen's University of Charlotte. Nailed it. Uh, you know, leading the veterans effort down there. That's good. Yeah, loved it. Thanks for having me. It's time we all thought differently about homeless veterans. I never thought of myself as a veteran, even though I served in the military. Because when we know who our veterans are, I never thought if I lost my job, I might lose my home. Understand how easily anyone can become homeless. I never thought my VA benefits could be the answer. And realize that VA is here to help. We can end veteran homelessness. If you know of or are a veteran in need, contact the nearest VA medical center at va.gov homeless or 877-424-3838. And that wraps up our coverage of Student Veterans of America National Conference and releasing all the content I managed to capture while I was at the conference. Uh, these interviews were great. It's always, it's always a pleasure talking to student veterans because they are in a position to, uh, to just be excellent and to serve so many people in so many different ways. And, and you know, the GI Bill, possibly one of the best inventions uh, our government has ever created, rightfully so, as we've invested more than $80 billion into the GI Bill since 2008. Um, and we continue to get our return on that investment with each student veteran that graduates and goes on to be an asset in our community. Today's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Roswell Winans, U.S. Marine Corps, rank of first sergeant at the time of honor. The year of honor was 1916. This is the Dominican campaign. Citation reads, during an engagement at Guanacanas on 3 July 1916, First Sergeant Winans participated in action against a considerable force of rebels on the line of march. During a running fight of 1,200 yards, our forces reached the enemy entrenchments and Corporal Joseph A. Gowen, USMC, placed the machine gun of which he had charge behind a large log across the road and immediately opened fire on the trenches. He was struck once, but continued firing his gun, but a moment later again struck and had to be dragged out of the position into cover. First Sergeant Winans, USMC, then arrived with the Colt's gun, which he had placed in the most exposed position, coolly opened fire on the trenches, and when the gun jammed, stood up and repaired it under fire. All the time Glowin and Winans were handling their guns, they were exposed to very heavy fire, which was striking into the logs and around the men, Seven men being wounded and one killed within 20 feet. First Sergeant Winans continued firing his gun until the enemy had abandoned the trenches. We honor his service. There we go. I hope you enjoyed this week of student veterans. Please drop us a note at newmedia at va.gov and simply let us know if you enjoyed this daily episode format this theme something that um, I will consider doing each time I, I capture a lot of content under the same uh, umbrella uh, but if if you weren't feeling it also uh, drop us a note let us know why and please suggest uh, you know a different uh, approach to it always open to the feedback please leave a rating and review when your podcatcher of choice whether it be stitcher iTunes, 
Google Play, Spotify, wherever. Uh, and so we, we can benefit from that as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.